What if Lord of the Rings had talking dragons? Today's book is The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm uh, not sure what I should do for the rest of this music. And this is The Book Pile. I'm David Vance. Now I want to see a Hobbit movie like Pete's Dragon, where all the people are live action, but the dragon is a cartoon. (laughs) I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and a tricksy hobbit. (laughs) But seriously, I'm very tricksy. All right. As usual, please subscribe to this podcast so you don't have to download it every week. And also leave us an amazing review. Elk Grove Susan says, man, I hope that's her full name. (laughs) It sounds like she did a crime. (laughs) She says, or he, I guess Elk is a unisex name. I look forward to your episodes every Monday, even Kellen's four minute ones. I feel your pain, Kellen. I once had a seagull grab my unopened bag of Cheetos. Oh man, I hate, I actually hate both of those things. And if you don't get that reference, uh, (laughs) check out our roast of Jonathan Livingston Seagull, where I tell my hateful seagull story. What did the seagull steal from you? Doritos. I like how you said it's been 20 years, so that seagull's dead by now. That seagull for sure died right after it ate those Doritos. (laughs) (laughs) I bet that Frito-Lay could double their next quarter's profits with their new marketing campaign for Doritos with new seagull-killing flavor. (laughs) Jonathan Livingston Seagull hits 250, and it's just because he died and was just plummeting (laughs) to the sand. (laughs) And it's me on a dock, crunching chips, (laughs) holding a bright blue bag, and I'm like, more like Jonathan Deddingston. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I would love to see that Super Bowl ad. (laughs) Also, I don't want to gloss over the fact uh, that she mentioned uh, my four-minute episode. And I have to say, uh, if you guys loved that, be prepared for several more in the near future. (laughs) No, seriously. We're going to be doing uh, more mini-episodes in the future, some as bonus episodes. So, yeah. All right, if you want to see me live... This weekend, I'm doing a couple of shows uh, with a very funny John Christ, Reynolds Hall in Las Vegas on June 30th, and then uh, the next night, a couple of shows in San Diego at the Balboa Theater. That's July 1st. And to be clear, I'm just opening for him, so only go to the show if you also like him, because <laughs> I'm doing like 12 minutes up front, he's doing an hour. Uh, but then I am headlining on these following dates. I'll be in St. Paul, Minnesota, July 7th through the 8th. Then I'm in Mondovi, Wisconsin, July 9th. Then I'm in West Jordan, Utah, July 21st through the 22nd. On to Ramona, California, August 12th. Uh, and then... Just in time to ring in the new year three weeks early. I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, December 9th through the 10th. Go to kellenerskin.com for tickets. Okay, I have kind of a big announcement today, as Kellen hinted just a second ago. We are changing how we do the podcast, and I'm I'm just going to put my cards on the table and say that I've been struggling to find the joy in doing the podcast lately, and I've also been 
having this weird stress gag response. So I think I'm getting burned out and I realized my part of the podcast is only going to be good if I want to do it each time. So we're going to try a change to make it more sustainable for me and I'm going to move to doing episodes once every two weeks and then Kellen is going to have guests on during the other weeks and we will see what that does. So thank you to everyone who's listened this far and I, I really hope you still enjoy the episodes in the new format and this is weird to say, but I, I genuinely hope that I am super replaceable. <laughs> well, that's, you know what I mean? That's an alarming way to put it. <laughs> I think, and if I can be genuine for 10 seconds on this entire episode. <laughs> that's your allotment. I think I can speak for all of our listeners um, that you uh, will not be replaceable. Uh, we're still going to make it as fun as we can when I have other guests on. But obviously this podcast, it is what it is because of what you contribute. So um, that's very nice. My time is up. <laughs> Our first guest will be better, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and I bring out a guest immediately. <laughs> anyway, today's guest. <laughs> He's like me, but he has a 10 pack. <laughs> He starts every episode by rubbing his 10-pack on the mic. <laughs> his laugh is even quicker. <laughs> I do want to say, I've had this thought stewing for a long time when people mock my laugh. Mm. I want to hear what your laughs sound like at double speed. Oh. <laughs> no, that that is a good point. And I, I'm also not defending my own laugh because as the editor of this podcast, I have heard myself inhale laugh way too many times to know that i do sound like a sand person <laughs> that's amazing all right to introduce my broad thoughts on this book first dave i want to ask uh, a genuine question say the hobbit movies didn't exist and most of us wish they didn't and you were going to make a movie poster based off of this book mm -hmm. what are a couple images that you might choose from this entire epic story I think you probably got to do Bilbo and the dragon, or if not that, Bilbo and Gollum. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the first thing that came to my mind was was uh, Bilbo hiding in the dragon with his jeweled armor. Mm -hmm. Also, the dragon just blasting the side of the mountain is, I think, another great shot. Oh, yeah. So in the 90s, this is pre, obviously, all Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings movies. It was by sheer luck that I ever picked up The Hobbit in the first place. I was at home, I was 11, uh, and bored, which I'm not complaining about boredom. Boredom is something, I think, uh, useful that existed before iPhones and YouTube. Anyway, <laughs> I'd walked past this paperback copy of The Hobbit on our family bookshelf for years. But it was, it was that edition of the book where the cover is... Have you ever seen this, Dave? The cover is just like a painting of a river opening into a calm lake. <laughs> There's like a couple barrels gently floating, maybe a little guy sitting on one of them and just painted in like the faintest palette. I swear that when I was a kid walking by, I was like, oh, is it like another Tom Sawyer? It's what it looks like. It would be like if they had made the movie poster for Raiders of the Lost Ark, if they made it be just that moment when Indiana Jones is wearing glasses, like writing stuff on a chalkboard. <laughs> 
But then, of course, I was pleasantly surprised. I love the adventure, the goblins, the spiders, the dragon, the treasure, the the wizard with magic that he just uses sometimes for some reason. <laughs> I loved it all that, and I still do. How about you, Dave? This book my, my dad read to us when I was probably seven, and mm. I thought it was the greatest thing ever made. That's fun. To the point where... When we started reading Lord of the Rings, I can't tell you how betrayed I was when I learned it's not about Bilbo. <laughs> so for me, Frodo had major stepdad energy. Oh, like, funny. you'll never be my real hobbit, idiot. Because <laughs> I'd, spent, I'd spent like a seventh of my life with Bilbo or however long it was. Sure. <laughs> then by the end of Lord of the Rings, I thought of Frodo as your stepdad, who's actually way cooler than your dad. <laughs> That's why mom picked him. <laughs> so I, I just reread The Hobbit, and weirdly, it doesn't hit as hard for me mm. anymore. And I'm, I'm actually going to dive into that today. I, I think it's a good and fun adventure story, but I don't think it's in my upper pantheon in the same way that, like, Lord of the Rings is, for instance. Okay, sure. All right. And without further ado, here are five lessons that we took from The Hobbit. That's one lesson for every army. All right. Lesson one, insert backstory into rumors. That's how Fleetwood Mac decided to cheat on each other. (laughs) So I've mentioned on previous Lord of the Rings episodes that uh, I love how J.R.R. Tolkien, he created this massive history first before writing Uh, any of these books, you see little evidences of how ancient this world is by things that characters mention. And something else that I think that he does really well is just by throwing history into casual conversation uh, and sometimes even just gossip the way that uh, Dumbledore does here. I just wanted to make half of our listeners hang up the podcast. The Gandalf slam it like a rotary phone. (laughs) That is sad that with technology, we don't get nearly as satisfying of a hang-up. Oh, yeah. you (laughs) Swiping angrily just doesn't have that tactile (laughs) kinetic action. In describing uh, Bjorn, the man-changing bear man (laughs) to the dwarves, what I'm trying to do this episode, Dave, (laughs) I genuinely love uh, Lord of the Rings trivia and history, but I also love making fun of those people at the same time. Uh, <laughs> you love seeming cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm a real snake eating its own tail here. So Gandalf says, Some say that he is a bear descended from the great and ancient bears of the mountains that lived there before the giants came. Others say that he's a man descended from the first men who lived before Smaug and the other dragons who came into this part of the world and before the goblins came into the hills in this part of the north. So I honestly love this sort of description where he's not just describing this bear man, but he's also giving us almost this timeline and descriptions and also names of other creatures that we will come across in this story. Yeah. Small thing. Can I point out that when people say this kind of stuff, they never just ask the person <laughs> like, Hey Bjorn, are you descended from the men before smog? And he's like, why? Yes, I am. <laughs> I think that high school teachers should do this sort of thing, like rephrase everything historical (laughs) as if it's gossip, but just throwing in actual facts. (laughs) Like, 
Oh, uh, when did the first man land on the moon, you ask? Well, some say <laughs> that it was after a decade of fierce competition between Russian spaceflight endeavors as subtext to an arms race. Others say that it was the same year that U.S. casualties of the Vietnam War surpassed those of the Korean War. And still <laughs> others say that it was July 16th, 1969. Before this point, I'm going to go meta and I'm going to give context about how I prep the podcast. Because I think part of the reason I've been losing a little bit of the joy is that I, I think I've been making what I think other people want instead of the podcast I want. Mm. So, for example... As much as I loved this book as a kid, I, I read it recently and I didn't get as much out of it. And so this morning, Podcaster Dave was like, ah, I have to take a book I didn't really respond to and milk two lessons out of it. Mm. And for you listeners at home, we literally milk the books. <laughs> they give birth. We separate the calves. It's traumatic. We inject a lot of hormones. And then we milk them for lessons. <laughs> I have had that conversation more than once where someone's like, why all the paper cuts? And I'm like, chapter teats. <laughs> so anyway, I thought, if I'm trying to find more joy in the podcast, what do I actually want to know about The Hobbit? And even though it really hit for me as a kid, what I want to know as a writer is, why don't I enjoy it as much as Lord of the Rings? So lesson two, why doesn't Dave like The Hobbit as much as Lord of the Rings? <laughs> And at no point do I think my view is objective truth here. If you love The Hobbit, I have no beef with you. This is just me trying to figure out how to write books that I like. <laughs> and so I've been rereading all of my, my favorite kids' books to improve my own writing. So Hunger's Games, Ender's Game, Red Rising. I'm not forgetting any. <laughs> when I check out a new book, the first thing I do is go to Goodreads and look at the quotes. I can usually tell from the quotes whether I'm going to like a book. If books are like dating, then the quotes are the face. So... <laughs> So Hobbit versus Lord of the Rings, they're both, you know, fun adventures. But I realized Lord of the Rings has quotes that hit a lot better for me. And I think that's the first thing. I think all my favorite books aren't just about people. They're also about ideas. So here's the top Goodreads quote for The Hobbit. Do you wish me a good morning or mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning or that it is a morning to be good on? So it's fun wordplay. It's a fun <laughs> intro to Gandalf. Now here's the top quote from Fellowship. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. Mm. Kellen, don't you get so much more depth from those Smash Mouth lyrics? <laughs> and can't, can't you just picture Tolkien with frosted tips and the Ray-Bans and skinny little soul patch? <laughs> Gross. Tolkien, my favorite part of the Shrek 2 soundtrack. <laughs> He thought love was only true in fairy tales. <laughs> Here's the third Hobbit quote. In a hole in the ground there lived a Hobbit. Very fun opening, very memorable. Here's the third fellowship quote. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Mm -hmm. Can't you just feel his experience of two world wars wrapped up in that quote? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... I guess my first takeaway is for me to love a story about someone killing a dragon, I need that richness. I need all the ways that it's about more than just killing the dragon. Sure. And then I need you to milk the dragon. <laughs> it's so 
disturbing, but I can't not picture that I imagine it would have to involve some sort of downward hugging motion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it'd be very big, wouldn't it? <laughs> I think we just came up with the most underwhelming Game of Thrones character. <laughs> Milker of dragons. <laughs> Everyone's just like, oh, no. <laughs> All right. Lesson three. You don't have to explain your art. Unless you're the guy who drew Where's Waldo, then it does come with some instructions. I was thinking, though, Dave, what if it never did? What if that guy drew all those drawings but died before writing any of his words down? <laughs> Are there words to Where's Waldo? It's just on the page of love, like literally, Where's Waldo? Find Waldo, find the wizard, find <laughs> the cane. But like, how long would it have taken experts <laughs> to discover these strange parallels in his works of art? <laughs> This mysterious half-hidden figure who reappears in various lands. What if it's an Alfred Hitchcock situation where that's just him cameoing in everything he draws? <laughs> anyway, I'm no J.R.R. Tolkien expert. In fact, after talking to a couple people this week and watching a couple clips, I don't even think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. But Wait, how, how do you think it's pronounced? Uh, I've always said Tolkien, but I've heard Tolkien. I've heard people really press the L in Tolkien. Tolkien. I never thought I wasn't saying the L enough. <laughs> <laughs> I just found out what his middle names are. Do you remember? I don't. Wait, can, oh. can I guess? Yes. Ring Wraith. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than the real answer, so we're going to leave it there. <laughs> So in an extreme nutshell, which Lord of the Rings connoisseurs are going to be angry about everything that I'm leaving out. Essentially, the first traces of stories of Middle-earth can be traced back to 1914. Then over the years, Tolkien created languages, cultures, stories in this world with this desire to create a mythology for England. And then in an effort to use this mythos to write a story for children, he publishes The Hobbit in 1937. It eventually sells 100 million copies, which makes his publishers think that maybe wow. he could write another book. Maybe. <laughs> and we'll put more rivers on it. <laughs> so the, they ask him for a sequel, which becomes uh, Lord of the Rings 15 years later. Wow, I didn't realize the gap was that big. And a real quick aside, by the way. So he creates this uh, legendarium, which is a word that I learned this week from a Mutual friend of ours, Tyler Stevens, who I consulted with, who's a he has this really fun wealth of knowledge, yeah, of Tolkien. He he recut the Hobbit, right? He did, yeah. <laughs> so Tolkien writes the Hobbit uh, with children in mind, using this, you know incredible library that he's been developing about this universe and this world and this age of this world. So keeping in mind that Tolkien was writing the story for children, uh, here's a quote from giant spiders yelling at Bilbo, quote, now we will eat you and leave your bones and skin hanging in the trees. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like if you didn't know what book it was, you'd be like, hold on, cat in the hat? It's even worse when you remember that Tolkien's son was scared of spiders. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I want to hear other Dr. Seuss stories that dark. 
<laughs> Would you like green eggs and a ham? And he's he's actually asking a green chicken and a green pig. <laughs> Hop on pop. His throat. <laughs> oh man. I think I did another Tuscan Raider giggle. <laughs> oh, the places you'll go. Statistically, 11% of you to prison. <laughs> so like I said, uh, I consulted Tyler on this, and uh, he shared some amazing things to me. One of my favorite ones, and he also told me that I should verify this, but I don't want to because I want to forever <laughs> believe that it's true. <laughs> Sure. Because this is the nerdiest nerd story in history. Okay. Tyler said that J.R.R. Tolkien, he started creating everything Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, all of this because he liked making up languages and he needed someone <laughs> to speak them. <laughs> great is that that it's almost like a conversation he needed to just bring up an excuse like no no it's, it's not what you think I, I i made up this whole language because because uh, there are like these goblins that have to talk and oh, no. i have these elf songs <laughs> it's guerrilla marketing for that's like how they made all those Saturday morning cartoons just to sell cereal and toys and cigarettes. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that I've loved this story since I was a child, but now reading it as an adult, there are some things that seem easy to cherry pick as plot holes. Like, why don't the Eagles just help them with everything? That's a popular one. Yeah. How does Bilbo accidentally just stumble upon the most powerful weapon of all time and put it in his pocket? But all of these things are actually explained in the thousands of pages of history, uh, a lot of which are included in the Silmarillion. All of the stuff that Tolkien wrote as the foundation of everything in this universe. Right. And I think it's ballsy, the fact that he didn't mention in The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings that the Great Eagles were devised by Manwe Sulamo, leader of the Valar, and were sent from Valinor to Middle-earth to keep an eye on the exiled <laughs> Noldor and later upon Sauron. But they were above Med with mortals. They only stepped in on rare occasions when a tipping point was needed and the right beings had done all that they could up until that point. Wow. I love that it's just, now here are the eagles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can bet if I had come up with all that and I had to hit word count, that would be in the book. <laughs> On the other hand, I mean, maybe it would have been nice to have a little explanation, but I do think that it's pretty confident to write something and then leave all that out and then just go, let them ask. <laughs> In Elvish. <laughs> I just think that it's also the same reason why, even though you do have the occasional plot hole here, it's almost like you can just trust that he covered it in these other documents that most of us will never read. <laughs> right. I mean, Hemingway basically talks about build the whole iceberg and show the tip of it. And Tolkien built Antarctica. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. So, yeah, my takeaway is that make your art, include what you want. You don't have to explain your whole iceberg. And if people question the tip... 
You don't want them as fans anyway. Man, it's hard to say that without giggling. Anyway, you don't need <laughs> you don't need those people as fans. You could tell them to go f off in your favorite language that you made up. Do you think if Tolkien swore that he swore in like orc language or something, <laughs> dark speak? <laughs> then later that night, he lights candles on an eleven-pointed star and says, "Forgive me, my master." <laughs> I don't I don't know the lore, but I assume you just said something incredibly nerdy. <laughs> I did make it up, but I'm gonna say check the Silmarillion, then you'll get that joke. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> check the Silmarillion is the end all of Tolkien debates. <laughs> no one has ever done it. <laughs> Lesson four. Why doesn't Dave like The Hobbit as much as Lord of the Rings Part 2? <laughs> Just like the movies, this could have been one thing, but I split it up. <laughs> and again, I want to emphasize, I loved this as a kid. It does have a very fun adventure story, but this is just what I'm interested in asking right now. So, Kellen, I want to do a quiz. Mm -hmm. We spend all book with the dwarves. Other than Thorin, I want you to tell me a dwarf's name and their personality. And even this is giving a lot of credit because Thorne's personality is leader. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to say uh, Keeley. Uh, and his personality is that he's not good at fighting because he dies. <laughs> Which was scarring to me as a child because I loved Keeley and Feely. And then as an adult, I was like, do you know anything about them? <laughs> you just like them because they have fun rhyming names like some twins do. I know. Like twins with the worst parents do. <laughs> and honestly, I only remember that he died because, because his name sort of sounds like Kill. <laughs> and Feely filled a grave. <laughs> So I think we agree. We can't say much about the personalities of the dwarves. Mm. Okay, now how many characters could you do if this were Lord of the Rings? Oh, for sure. Probably a dozen. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I realized another reason The Hobbit, despite being a fun adventure, doesn't hit as well for me. And I think it's that I, I just really need stories to, to be about people. Because, you know, we spend the whole book with the dwarves, and I know so little about them. And I swear one dwarf's entire personality is just fat. <laughs> 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 Which is probably the dwarf Walt Disney wanted to make. <laughs> By the way, beyond just being insensitive, does it ever bother you how inconsistent the seven dwarves naming scheme is? <laughs> there's no pattern. I counted there's one profession, three emotions, two medical conditions, and a slur. <laughs> It'd be like if you named your kids red, blue, triangle, <laughs> and then a slur. <laughs> It is interesting to see the iterative process because it's almost like uh, when Tolkien started developing the Lord of the Rings, he's like, all right, I still want at least like 10 people on an adventure, but <laughs> this time <laughs> they'll have, you know, lines. <laughs> it really makes you wonder how good of a friend Tolkien is. <laughs> He's like, so there's one guy in the friend group who he's really interesting. He has the adventures. He says stuff. And then the other guys, like, I don't know, their names rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
he writes this after he gets home from hanging out with C.S. Lewis and T.S. Mewis. <laughs> so I, I thought maybe I was biased against Tolkien's dwarves. Like, maybe they have more personality than I remember. Mm. No. I looked on Sparknotes, and just the order of the character list should tell you everything. It goes, mm. Bilbo, Gandalf, Thorin, Gollum, Smog, Bard, Bjorn, Elrond, Sauron, who's not in the book, Thror, who's dead, and then finally, dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> dwarves is the 11th character imagine in the fellowship of the ring if the 11th character was the fellowship of the ring <laughs> Sparknote says feely keely dwal and balan owing gloin ori dory nori biffer bofer and bomber none of whom is really developed as an individual character so why did we name them <laughs> So this book, it, it really does. It has a very fun adventure, but I think because I didn't bond with these characters, it just doesn't reach quite my pantheon of favorite kids' books. I do want to say that that's how you feel as an adult, but as a kid, you said that this right. was the greatest book of all time. <laughs> yeah. In fairness, stepping out of the jokes, the most memorable characters are almost all in Lord of the Rings. So this is glossing over like Gandalf is great. Bilbo is great. Gollum. Sure. You know what I mean? There are very interesting voices in here. Mm. It's just that I, I get them in much stronger doses, mostly in, in the Lord of the Rings. For sure. So a lot of this is comedic effect. But <laughs> yeah, as I read through, I was like, why are all the dwarves even here? <laughs> I, I like to think that as this was Tolkien's uh, sort of his first go at writing a book, mm-hmm. that like 15 pages in, he was like, oh, why did I add so many dwarves? <laughs> well, guess I have to commit. <laughs> uh, okay, Gloin, hot but doesn't know it. <laughs> All right, lesson five. Treat your readers smart and dumb at the same time. (laughs) All of this just has to do with the chapter Riddles in the Dark. So, Dave, here's a regular riddle. What appears once in a minute, twice in a moment, but not once in a thousand years? The letter M. (laughs) So that's what a riddle should be, right? One of those things where the, the answer is... Difficult, but then obvious once you find out. With that in mind, here's a riddle Middle Earth style that I made up. See if you can solve this. Called a giant, but not huge. Sitting on a wheel of double-cooked mashed kidneys that spins but never travels. One has a mouse head in the middle, but not this one. What am I? All right, a mouse head being served on a plate and a man... No, I don't know what. (laughs) It's a Big Mac on a Ferris wheel made of refried beans. (laughs) What's the mouse? I said one has a mouse head in the middle, but not this one, because at Disneyland there's a Ferris wheel. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I thought you were still talking about the Big Mac. It's just crazy to me because some of the riddles in this book, he hasn't told you ahead of time, but they have like metaphors inside them that you also have to guess. (laughs) So it was funny to me this time around on this read how much uh, the narrator 
of this story sort of projects his own opinions on how easy or difficult some of these riddles should be for us. Oh, sure. <laughs> and and some of these riddles, I, I don't think you have to be smart. They're just straight up cheating and impossible. Like, <laughs> Dave, could you describe to me in the simplest terms possible what a box is? <laughs> um, a, a solid cube or nearly cubed object made for holding items. <laughs> so here's one of them. A box without hinges, key or lid, yet golden treasure inside is hid. And uh, it's an egg. So so the real riddle should be an egg-shaped box without hinges, key or lid. (laughs) (laughs) Kellen, I have a riddle for you. A balloon that you sit on. It has four balloon legs, a balloon back. Sometimes there are rocking balloons. Do you give up? I do. It, it's a chair. Sometimes you can get killed by an electric balloon. You know, it's funny. I thought I was kidding when I said that I didn't get your riddle, but I I guess I didn't because <laughs> when you said a balloon with four legs and sometimes there's a rocking balloon, I thought the answer was a horse. <laughs> so here's another one. And if you haven't read the book recently, just know that this is the one where the narrator lets us know that it was a very simple one for a golem to figure out after he unlocked the first hint. So it goes like this. No legs lay on one leg. Two legs sat near on three legs. Four <laughs> legs got some. Answer, fish on a little one-legged table. That's a no legs lay on one leg. Man at table sitting on a three-legged stool. The cat gets the bones. That's the easy one, token. But you could make this anything. That could be so many things. It's like five spiders in the jar of someone who's been torturing them. So the one with no legs is lying on the one with one leg. Or it could just be family dinner outside Chernobyl. Oh, no. Not only is this impossible to solve, it's also the only riddle I've ever heard where the answer is longer than the riddle. (laughs) (laughs) All right, random facts. I didn't know any random facts about The Hobbit, so I looked up this fantastic list on Scotsman.com, the finest news establishment, (laughs) and this random fact killed me. Number four. There isn't a single female character in The Hobbit. <laughs> At that point, there's no way it's an accident, right? <laughs> like, he didn't, he didn't even write a woman by accident. <laughs> and then he watched Star Wars and he was like, okay, for Lord <laughs> of the Rings, I'll have one. <laughs> I'll have two and they both fight over the same man. <laughs> Zero women in a book this big. It's like you're trying to flunk out of Bechdel school. (laughs) 
So when Bilbo first meets Smaug, he tries to be clever and make himself a, a bit more intimidating since he's invisible. He can say that he's anything. <laughs> now that I'm thinking of this, it's like he's inventing social media. <laughs> he's catfishing him. <laughs> So, <laughs> though Bilbo introduces himself to Smaug, among other things, he says, I am he that walks unseen. I am the clue finder, web cutter, friend of bears, guest of eagles, barrel rider. <laughs> so after all that, some pretty cool ones there. Smaug just calls him barrel rider from then on. <laughs> Real quick, just to push the glasses up on my face for a second and correct you from earlier, Dave. <laughs> okay. A few minutes ago, you mentioned that Sauron wasn't in The Hobbit, but uh, uh, he actually is mentioned there. He's just in the phase of the necromancer at this point. Oh, gotcha. So they see him? No, but he is... <laughs> His only purpose in The Hobbit is to give Gandalf an excuse for leaving for a while and then coming back. So he, he's off screen. Uh-huh. <laughs> Your defense just makes it even sadder that he's above dwarves. In all seriousness, though, I do love that Lord of the Rings was never intended, that it was never even in his mind like while he was writing The Hobbit. But then he essentially made aspects of The Hobbit uh, seeds into yeah. what would feed into Lord of the Rings. So that's why it makes mm -hmm. it sort of a Rogue One sort of move where uh, it makes the original uh, story... Uh, even more fun and compelling when you see that the necromancer mm -hmm. is like, even though he's just barely mentioned here, he comes up later. And even uh, to a lesser extent, the ring, which doesn't play a major part of the Hobbit. Right. I mean, it's in it enough, but you would never know that it would just get its own trilogy later. Didn't he like rewrite that ring scene a little bit later? To mesh better with Lord of the Rings? He did, yeah. In the first edition, uh, Gollum has the ring and he just bets it basically in a game. And Bilbo oh. wins fairly and Gollum shows him to the exit. <laughs> Fair and square. <laughs> oh, wow. He really changed it. He changed it, yeah. So that uh, as Gollum is obviously a lot more aggressive in Lord of the Rings, yeah. um, he sort of, yeah, reverse engineered it in a later edition of The Hobbit. And I respect that. I would take that from any book series that I haven't read yet. Yeah. Like if Stephen King uh, were to rewrite all of the Dark Tower series, which I've heard doesn't exactly pay off in thousands and thousands of pages. Oh, no. If he could redo it so that it did, now knowing how it ends. Uh -huh. You know, rewriting the beginning once you know the end is just what plotters do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're also just trying to find the most organic shape of the story and then giving it better structure once they know it. <laughs> That's such a good point. <laughs> Kellen, you and I have talked about how the Lord of the Rings movies are some of our favorite adaptations. Mm -hmm. Well, Christopher Tolkien, his son, said 
they eviscerated Lord of the Rings by making it an action movie for young people aged 15 to 25. Tolkien has become a monster, devoured by his own popularity and absorbed into the absurdity of our time. The chasm between the beauty and seriousness of the work and what it has become has overwhelmed me. The commercialization has reduced the aesthetic and philosophical impact of the creation to nothing. There is only one solution for me, to turn my head away. <laughs> I'm like, sounds like someone wishes they had written a popular book. <laughs> What a hypocrite to bring up the evils of commercialism when the only thing he ever did was take his own father's writings and posthumously made them into a book to which he made millions of dollars. Oh, really? Is that what the Silmarillion is? Yes. Oh, my gosh. He Harper lead his own dad. <laughs> In this one, is Bilbo an old racist? <laughs> I just love this description here in describing the terrain and the weather uh, when they're with the mountain giants. It says, quote, More terrible still are thunder and lightning in the mountains at night when storms come up from the east and west and make war. The lightning splinters on the peaks, the rocks shiver, and great crashes split the air and come roaring into every cave and hollow, and the darkness is filled with overwhelming noise and sudden light. I just love it. I see, like, a strobe light of giants, you know? <laughs> yeah. Some of them have... Huge, like, glow bracelets. <laughs> Here's another fact from that incredible list from Scotsman.com. Gandalf the Wizard was originally called Bladarthene. <laughs> this is why we do edits. <laughs> that sounds like a urinary tract infection. I know. <laughs> Struggling with incontinence? Try Bladarthene today. <laughs> Before Bladderthene, I was always embarrassed. My sheets were gray instead of white. Till I told my urine, you shall not pass. Now I never make it to the toilet late. I get there precisely <laughs> when I mean to. Bladderthene may cause nausea, numbness of the extremities, and a desire to rule of the dark armies beyond the Black Gate. <laughs> <laughs> so if i didn't know about the comprehensive history that tolkien is referencing in this part of the book it would just seem like the most unnecessary detail followed by the most unnecessary spoiler for the end of this novel okay this is right after the eagles have given the dwarves uh, an uber ride away from the forest fire <laughs> Quote, and though the Lord of the Eagles became in the after days the king of all birds and wore a golden crown and his 15 chieftains golden collars, parentheses, made of the gold that the dwarves gave them, end parentheses, Bilbo never saw them again, except high and far off in the Battle of Five Armies. But that comes later in our story. <laughs> like, why are you telling me? I'm halfway through. I'm not going to stop. <laughs> right. Imagine if halfway through the Jurassic Park movie, they showed a trailer for the second half of the Jurassic Park movie. 
That happens to me on like Peacock. I don't know what's wrong with their ad algorithm, but they will hit me with ads for the show I'm watching. Oh, no. <laughs> they will interrupt me watching that show to tell me I should watch that show. It's just the dumbest machine in the machine learning verse where he's like, well, if you liked this, you're going to like the exact thing. <laughs> It's like those classic stories of people buying a toilet on Amazon and then always getting hit with toilet ads. <laughs> yeah, like after this, I'm sure both of us are going to get sick and tired of all the bladder thing ads that'll pop up on Instagram. Oh, no. Oh, no. And before I forget, the Andy Circus reading of this on Audible is in my top three Audible listens of all time. It's just such a joy that not only does he obviously have the iconic Gollum voice, uh, which he gets to yeah. use uh, when we meet Gollum, but he has great, I mean, his his Gandalf is even like half Ian McKellen, what he's able to emulate from mm -hmm. that. Uh, he has, all the characters have different voices and Smaug is just scary. Here's a quick clip of that. My is like tenfold shields. My teeth are swords. My claws spears. The shock of my tail, a thunderbolt. My wings are hurricane and my breath, death. Oh, wow. <laughs> right? I oh mean, that's the first thing that I say to my kids when I breathe into their faces in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so, Token is arguably built the biggest fantasy world in all fantasy literature, including over 20 languages, some sources count over 30, 15 of which are just elvish dialects alone. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it all. I'll go along with creatures made of fire and smoke, shapeshifters, mountain giants, talking trees, tempting rings, and magic birds. But I refuse to believe. Here's where I draw the line, Dave. <laughs> I refuse to believe that when goblins capture dwarves, those goblins are able to make up a song and sing it all together on the way back to their cave. <laughs> Do they like quickly improvise a few verses of lyrics while they're tying everyone up and then like distribute them to everyone? <laughs> One of them counts the others in. <laughs> How specific are those lyrics? Like, is there any chance they practiced this before in case they caught dwarves? I'm being serious. <laughs> that could be. But for anyone who wants to argue this, there are plenty of other examples. Bilbo makes up a perfectly rhyming, cadenced song on the spot just to taunt the spiders. <laughs> That's not something he would have known to prep. Okay, just so we rule out everything else. <laughs> There's no chance that Middle Earth has like a hoppin' freestyle community <laughs> or is big into musical improv. I think it's in the Silmarillion. <laughs> All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from The Hobbit. One, insert backstory into rumors. Two, why doesn't Dave like The Hobbit as much as Lord of the Rings? Three, you don't have to explain your art. Four, Treat your readers smart and dumb at the same time. And five, ask your doctor about bladder scene today. <laughs> 